0: I'd like us to take a reading tonight uh, from Nehemiah uh, chapter 8, so if you have your Bibles uh, to hand or on your app or wherever you might find it, it's Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to take our reading from uh, verse 9. So Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 9 says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. I hope you can see the screen okay. I'm just going to have the help of a PowerPoint to work through our little talk tonight, uh, based around Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 in particular. I don't know what your festivities have been like in the last few days, not quite what we might have imagined because of circumstances, but... Usually New Year and uh, Christmas are known as times of festivities coming together in some form of festival to to celebrate together with people and restrictions have prevented us from doing that as fully as we would have liked to this year. Uh, What we've read together is just a little snippet of a time when the people had gathered in Jerusalem and they come together to enjoy festivities or festival of the festival of trumpets in particular and they weren't in the right condition but by the end of their exposure to god's word uh, they had come to their senses and went from being gloomy and mournful to being people of joy so just on the screen i'm hoping you can see that um where we're at in this this is the year 444 bc And Jerusalem's walls have just been rebuilt, and Ezra, Nehemiah, and most probably Malachi, the prophet, have been circulating in Jerusalem, and they've been restoring the prominence and the authority of God's Word. Just need to work backwards a little bit for history, though, so we know uh, what the history has been and how we've got to this point. It was back in 586 BC that Jerusalem was overthrown by Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar and the walls were flattened, the temple was destroyed and the people, most of them were taken, those that remained were taken into captive and some of the very poor people were left in the city and the surrounding areas. Jerusalem had been ransacked and destroyed and that was because of the faithlessness of God's people. They were off in captivity in Babylon as God had said they would be because of their sin. But then in 538 BC, uh, the Lord put it on on the heart of the emperor at that time to let the people return to Jerusalem. So the exiles, maybe first generation and certainly second generation exiles, they returned to Jerusalem and they set about rebuilding the altar. It's interesting. The first thing that was rebuilt when they came back was the altar, the place of sacrifice where they would worship God. And they laid the temple foundation as well. So they started work on rebuilding the temple in 538 BC. There was opposition to that building work and it stopped fairly quickly. And it was only in 520 BC with the prophets Haggai and Zechariah that we have in our Old Testaments that They come with the word of the Lord to encourage Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the leader of the people to to get on with the construction of the temple that had been put on hold for for 16, 17 years. So the construction restarted and it was completed uh, four years later in 516 BC. So then the people are there and they're um, in Jerusalem the altar has been rebuilt, the temple has been rebuilt, and then we have this long period of time, that's uh, what, 72 years, is it? Something around about that, until we come to our portion here, where Nehemiah has come up to Jerusalem because he has heard, and he was working back in the, the capital city of the uh, the Persian Empire at that time, he'd heard about the state of Jerusalem, the condition of the people who were living there and he came up and he checked out the walls that were lying in such a mess and he encouraged the people to be engaged in rebuilding the walls so it was back in 538 BC that they'd rebuilt the the altar for sacrifice it was in 516 BC that they completed the rebuilding of the temple but it was all this time later in 444 BC that the people finally rebuilt and reconstructed and repaired the walls that had been broken down. So the stronghold of Jerusalem, the stronghold of Jerusalem was, uh, was rebuilt again. And it's into this setting that Ezra and Nehemiah and Malachi speak. And when Nehemiah first came up, he saw the walls in a mess. Not only that, along with Malachi and Ezra, he saw that uh, the service of the priesthood was a mess associated with the temple while it might have been rebuilt uh, the priesthood was really degenerated and um, the population of the Jews in Jerusalem and around it were disinterested and uninterested with really what the worship of God was to be about in the temple and Malachi he's the one who prophesied about the what would come to the people again if they continued in their lax um, ways and in their corruption. And in their abuse of the sacrificial system, bringing blemished sacrifices and all of the social evils that were part of the experience of the Jews in the middle of this fifth century, uh, when Ezra, Nehemiah and Malachi were there. But the stronghold, the historic stronghold of the Jews had been completed, but they needed to hear the word of the Lord because having those physical things in place and claiming the identity of Jews was not enough. God, through Malachi, told the people that he was really quite disgusted with uh, the way they were carrying on. He even said to them to close the doors, stop trampling the courts and such like of the temple. So what we come to then is what we've just read, and it's only a snippet of the portion in Nehemiah Chapter 8, the walls have been rebuilt, and they completed that task six days before this incident. And this incident that we've read happened on the first day of the seventh month. And the people, it tells us, had asked that Ezra would come. And as the people were gathered in the square, uh, we read of him coming to a wooden lectern, and he there takes the book of the law of Moses, which is most likely the book of Deuteronomy, and it says from dawn until noon he read the law of the Lord to the people and what we read together was that the response of the people to that was this Um, they had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law the last part of Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 9. Nehemiah had said to the people because of this response of mourning and weeping he says this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people, and that was from the youngest to the oldest, who'd been standing listening to the word of the, God for, the word of God for all of the morning. they were weeping as they listened to the words of the law. I think the people here were confronted with the reality of their failure and their sin, their disobedience to God. Yes, they had a rebuilt stronghold. They had the stronghold of Jerusalem intact with the walls around it to give them protection. The temple was there and the altar was there, but their service and their attitude towards God was not right. But for whatever reason, in God's sovereign purposes, he moved them to invite Ezra to come and to read the law to them. And as he did that, and we read earlier in the chapter that some of the Levites who were there went through the crowd to help them understand what it was that they were reading. And as they heard and they understood, the result was mourning and weeping. You know, we mourn and we grieve when we've lost something or we lose someone. And I think the people here had realized that although they had everything in place, the altar and the temple and the walls, they hadn't been enjoying God. They'd lost their connection with God. The word for mourning and weeping there really have the same sense of being deeply worried. The people in hearing the law, the book of Deuteronomy, where God spoke about the blessings that he would bring for faithful obedience to his commands, but also the curses that would come on the people again for failure to obey his commands. They were deeply worried and troubled by that. And you have this people then on the first day of the seventh month and they're mourning and they're weeping as they've listened to the law of God. You know, this was the seventh month, we're told. The seventh month was, was a highlight of the year for the people of Israel, a bit like December and into January is for us in a sense. It's what we look forward to all year. And the Jews look forward to the seventh month because this first day was the festival of trumpets it was when there was to be a holy convocation or a holy gathering a festival that would be characterized by the blasts of trumpets and you read about that in Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 12 and it was to be a day of joy God said that in Deuteronomy it was to be characterized by joy in God's promises And they were joyful in God's promises at this point, because in the seventh month, they've got to the end of their agricultural cycle in a sense. And all of the the crops have been gathered in and God has honored his promise to provide for his people. And the Festival of Trumpets declares their trust and their joy in God who has provided and honored his promises again. It's on the 10th day Of the seventh month that we have the Day of Atonement and that was the day when they were to fast and really that was a day for for introspection, retrospection, looking at themselves and they would be reminded through what would happen on the Day of Atonement that God was the one who atoned for their sin, the provision of sacrifices. And then you move to the 15th day of the month and you get to that later in this chapter, In Nehemiah chapter 8 and it's the festival of tabernacles that lasts for seven days and the festival of tabernacles was for the people to remember that they had been brought out of Egypt in the great exodus and traveled through the wilderness with God providing for them and they did so as they moved around in their temporary shelters so for a week they were to gather for this festival of tabernacles so this first day of the seventh month was the blasting of trumpets To pronounce that there's a day coming when sin is atoned for again, but also the reminder of God's rescue of his people and his provision for them according to his promises. So that's why the seventh month was the highlight month of the year for them. It's what they looked forward to. You know, these were called um, holy days. You look back into Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and these days were called holy to the Lord. And they were holy because God had said they are what the people should come together and enjoy together. The Festival of Tabernacles was one of the three feasts during the course of the year. The festivals that all the men and families would come from all of the towns of Israel and come up to Jerusalem, the stronghold, to worship the Lord. And to have joy in God's festivals. That's why what we've read in Nehemiah chapter 8 doesn't really sit right. Because holiness and gloom or mourning and weeping don't really go together in God's word. Holiness is usually accompanied whenever we read God's word with the words of glory and beauty and strength and joy. That's usually what's associated with the word holy because it's associated with God but here the people having heard the law of the Lord and recognizing their own failure and their own sin and the possibility again of the curses of God coming on them they were weeping and mourning so Nehemiah has to remind the people in that famous verse in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 this day is holy to our Lord yes it's a holy day And God has pronounced that we should gather on this day to celebrate and to celebrate who he is and all that he has yet promised that will come. And the trumpet blasts were anticipating all that God had yet promised. So he says to them, do not grieve. There's the word again, that sense of having lost something. And the people rightly had sensed they'd lost their relationship with God. But Nehemiah encourages them, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord. Is your strength. I just want to pick up on the word strength here because I might have missed it for all these years but that word in Hebrew is ma'oz, and everywhere else in the Hebrew Bible that word is translated as a stronghold, a refuge, a place of safety and seeing that just transforms Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. Because you have this people responding to the word of the Lord, and recognizing their sin and weeping and mourning because of it and grieving for what they've lost and what they're missing out on. But here, Nehemiah steps forward and says, look, don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is the place of your stronghold, the mountain stronghold, your refuge. Yes, you have the walls. Yes, you have the temple and you have the altar. You have all of these physical things that God has said are important and should be there. But God himself is the stronghold. He is the refuge. just want to share one other verse from Psalm 27 and verse 1 on the screen that gives us that same word. And we see it here related to the Lord again. Psalm 27, verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? David says, the Lord is the stronghold. That's the word maots. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David knew what it was to have his trust in the greatest of strongholds, which is the Lord himself. I don't want to skip past uh, that verse. The joy of the Lord is your strength just need to think about the joy of the Lord for the moment the joy of the Lord is I believe in its setting here it's the joy that God has in his people together obeying his commands in this setting to celebrate him together in his presence in the place where he said they should come and they were coming to celebrate his grace his provision his faithfulness The promises of his presence in the place of that physical stronghold that Jerusalem was. But that place was merely representative of the true place of refuge and protection. Which was to be found in the Lord God, the God of covenant himself. The joy of the Lord. God has joy when his people Obey his commands and gather for festivities in joy. And maybe as the word of God comes to us, we sense the loss just now of circumstances and situations that mean that we're missing out on what it is that God would have us be involved in. But God wants us to be joyful. And in that joy of his, in his people, gathering to worship him and to come At his appointed feast times, his festival times, then we know him as our stronghold. So his joy becomes our stronghold, a reminder to us of all that God has promised, all that he has done so far, all that he has yet promised to do. And we take hold of him, the one who is the stronghold of our lives individually. But here we see it in Nehemiah 8 as the the Lord's joy in his people together, gathered for the festival. Not just this one, but all of the festivals in the place of his name, in the mountain stronghold of Jerusalem that represents him as being the great stronghold of his people. The Lord is our refuge and strength. You know, back in Exodus 34 and verse 24, When God first gave the instruction to Moses that the people of Israel for three of the feasts during the year were to leave their towns and their villages and to come up to Jerusalem to worship him at these festivals, he made the promise there that their lands and their livelihoods would be protected. The people could leave behind everything that they had gained as the people of God coming into the promised land and could forget about it and go up to the journey, for the journey, to Jerusalem, to that mountain stronghold, to the place of the walls and the temple and the altar and be engaged in that worship of God. And God says, I'll preserve what you leave behind. I want to bring in a text here from Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 3. This was spoken in the days just prior to the overthrow of Jerusalem and in Zephaniah 2 verse 3 the message comes to those who were faithful to God you know there were people in Jerusalem prior to its its being destroyed who were faithful but for the sins of the majority and the failure down all of the centuries God's wrath must come against Jerusalem but here's a word through Zephaniah from the Lord to those faithful ones seek the Lord all you humble of the land you who do what he commands seek righteousness seek humility and here's the line that grabbed me in the last week or so perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger you know there's no guarantee there was no guarantee for the people in the days just prior to Nebuchadnezzar coming through that even the faithful ones will be preserved from what was coming. There's a principle that comes to us today as well, because we as Christians have never been given a guarantee that we will be protected from all of the physical things that might come at us in this life. Yes, God made a promise to his people in their faithfulness as they would come up to worship him, that he would take care of everything back home. I think that principle still applies today, that when we honour the Lord, he honours us. Perhaps we will be sheltered. In our circumstances today, there's no guarantee we will. But that doesn't mean that the people that Zephaniah was addressing on behalf of the Lord here were to give up seeking the Lord, seeking his righteousness and his humility and doing what he commanded. Perhaps they would be sheltered, knowing that God was their refuge and God was their stronghold. I'd like us to read in Hebrews chapter 6 now to bring this uh, up to date for ourselves. Hebrews chapter 6, if you have your Bibles there. Hebrews 6, and uh, we'll read a a few verses here together from verse 17. Hebrews 6 and verse 17. It says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, those two things being a promise and an oath, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. You know, the the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish converts to Christianity who were being tempted because of circumstances and, and pressures coming on them to give up on the things of Christianity and just have an easy life back in Judaism. To give up all of the privileges that were associated with being part of God's new covenant people like us today. They were tempted to give up on it for an easier life. But here, the writer of Hebrews, picking up the story of Abraham, how God made a promise on an oath to Abraham to bring blessing to him. He says, God has done the same thing for us today. So this is New Testament times, applies to us too. In Jesus Christ, of course, we receive eternal protection, salvation, a place of eternal refuge, each one of us. But the text here Hebrews 6, verse 18, I'm going to borrow the English Standard Version's rendering just to draw the point that's important, where it says that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. That's the sense of that. We have fled for refuge. To whom? To God. We have fled to God, our Savior, who is our refuge, who is our stronghold. And the reminder of all that God is for us, the writer of Hebrews says, is to be found in our holding fast to the hope that is set before us. Now, that hope is described further in Hebrews 7, verse 19, as the hope by which we draw near to God. And this then goes on in verse 19, as we've seen here, is that it's something that goes into the inner sanctuary, our privilege to go in. To worship God in his place, at his command, at his calling, with the people of God. To enjoy the festival of worship that is the privilege of God's people every week. So the writer of Hebrews says, we have fled for refuge because of God's promise and his his oath secured for us in Christ. We might be strongly encouraged to hold fast to that hope that is set before us. So We've come to God for refuge and that he would be our stronghold. But, you know, when we come together as God's people and we come together in festival to worship. We're coming to an even more delightful reality than was the case for the people of the Jews back in Nehemiah's day. If you turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, it says that we come As the worshipping gathered people of God today to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, we come in to the heavenly stronghold. That's a stronghold because God himself is there and our saviour is there. And that's why Hebrews 6 verses 19 and 20 give us such confidence today in challenging times that we have this hope What's this hope? It's the hope that we can come into the stronghold of the presence of God. That hope is an anchor for the soul. It's firm and secure. The anchor is dropped when the boat is sitting uh, in its in its safe haven. That's the sense of it. We're brought into this place of safety, and when we come together as God's people, we're reminded of the 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 glory. Of God's grace to bring us into safety and it enters that hope enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf we're not to grieve and mourn for what's lost we're to respond to God's word and the encouragement to realize that God has joy in his people being gathered together and we're to come and realize that God is our stronghold, whatever the circumstances of life might be. And the reminder of that is found when his people are together and coming to worship and to pray in his presence together. In Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 5, this is in the day yet future that's referred to, it says the people around Jerusalem, when it will be the center of God's kingdom here on earth the Lord's kingdom here on earth the Lord Jesus will rule as king from Jerusalem it says that the people of Jerusalem are strong why because the Lord Almighty is their God so the joy of the Lord is our stronghold That joy of God and his people being gathered together as we have joy in him remembering all that he is we come into the heavenly Jerusalem. The people of Jerusalem are a strong people. And that should be seen by the people all around. Because the Lord Almighty is our God. I want to finish with going back to Psalm 27 and just reading verses 4 and 5 to see where David's mind went. After he had declared that the Lord was his stronghold of his life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In verse one, look at verses four and five. He says this, one thing I ask from the Lord and this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Our God is our stronghold, and his joy in his people is our stronghold. God is our refuge and strength.